Hey, welcome to Life 2.0 Podcast. I'm John St. Augustine. Time to go up the down staircase in the outdoor. Make sense out of the senseless. If at all possible, find the obvious, bear to the absurd. Hold on to your friggin' lug nuts. Time for an overall. Let's do it. Glad to have you joining me one more time from around the world, spanning the globe as it were. It is zero dark 30 here in Chicago on a Saturday morning. I usually stay away from time references and even other references to the weather and such. When you've been in radio a long time, you make these attempts to be evergreen as much as you can, which means I can use this over and over again and not have any dated references to it. I can't tell you, especially when I was at Harpo Radio, how much I had to go back and take out dated references. You know, the host would say, hey, it's this or that, and here's this going on. You know, if you're listening to it six months later, does it relate? But that doesn't matter here because it's my show. And it is dark here, and it's cold in Chicago. So for all of you listening in the warmer parts of the world, uh, send some of it this way. The winter is descending upon us once again. Uh, it's very dry here. There may or may not be some flurries uh, tomorrow. But I got to tell you, uh, it's nice that the sun comes up early. But when I walk into the vaunted and highly respected Aurora Media Studios, and I got to fire up the heat here in the morning, it's not the same as just opening the door and letting the sun shine in, which we'll get to a little bit later. So glad to have you joining me. And it's been a, another one of those weeks where there are things happening that I just, I can't wait to share with you. But before that, I hope you had a good Thanksgiving. And one of the things I'm so very thankful for, and I don't want to be too cliche or overdo it, is the people that subscribe to this podcast. Uh, I just feel so very, very lucky, you know, that uh, that anybody listens. I've been doing this stuff a long time, you know, and you, on one hand, you build up a listener base and people connect with you over time. I have people that are subscribers to this podcast that first started listening to me when I went on the air in 1997, long time ago. And they have stayed with me through the different iterations and landing platforms that I was at over the years, from there to another station in, uh, in Michigan, the Radio Results Network. I, I did that for a few years and then off to Oprah Radio in 2005 and Stayed there to 2010 and then went to WGN and then CBS. I mean, and for people in the radio business, it's not real stable. You just got to call it what it is. Talent really doesn't matter. I hate to say it. You ever turn on the radio and go, what the hell? But that's just me. So it's a, it's a sketchy existence at times. I can't tell you how blessed I feel that people still listen. And, you know, some of that sounds a little self-serving, right? I mean, who am I to think that I have something to share? Conversely... Who am I to think I'm not? You know, we're all here for a very, very short time. I grew up around and with mentors and influences that said you must do something of consequence with what you are given. The odds of being born, one in 400 effing trillion. And sometimes when I watch the human activity on this planet, uh, I just shake my head thinking, really, this is what you're going to do with winning the lottery of all time? This is what you're going to do? So my attempts over the years to use the microphone as some sort of a, a leveling force. You know, like when you're putting a level on a project and you wait for the bubble to get right in the middle and that's where you secure it. That's what I attempt to do with this show every week. And sometimes I do it as I'm writing things and other times other projects for people that are, you know, doing audio. 
And that's another thing, you know, I never expected, I mean, the technology allows for this, but I never expected that I would be producing audiobooks for people, producing podcasts for people. It's a lot of fun to do that. And then every Saturday, though, I get a chance to do this. And this is where it all started for me. And as we're on the backside or the tail feather side of Thanksgiving, I just wanted to mention how much I appreciate those people who are plunking down 20 bucks a month, which is five bucks a show, which is 66 cents a day to hear me rant, rave, bloviate, speculate, and sometimes verbally defecate. So I appreciate it. So I, I tried, I've been for four days, I've been trying to figure out how to exactly put this together. I kind of know what I want to say. I want to make sure I get all the pieces in there uh, to, to illustrate what I think is a, is a magical thing sometimes, the concept and idea and the blessing and providence of serendipity and how when we allow for that in our lives, we don't think we've got to direct everything. When you pay attention, not just to the music, but the space in between the notes, that's sometimes where the best stuff is. So last Wednesday, the day before Thanksgiving, I put a call into my friend, the Hall of Fame Green Bay Packer, Jerry Kramer, and we talk quite often. Every now and again, like we did about three, four weeks ago, Jerry was a guest on this very show with Bob Fox. They have uh, put a new book out called Run to Win. It's Jerry's fifth or sixth book. And it's fascinating, wonderful, terrific, and great. And he's 87 and still getting books out into the world. Kind of makes you want to do stuff, doesn't it? And they were on the show, and I, I kind of put a little extra effort into that one. I like to think that everything I put out into the world audio-wise is a bit of a, a artwork and that I do the best I can with what I have where I'm at to illustrate something or create something from nothing. So when you're having a conversation with Jerry Kramer, it is storyland. This guy's life is, is a, truly a movie. And there was a documentary done on Jerry, and I was very proud to be a small part of that. For years, I was hearing about a block that he made and Lombardi told him it was the greatest block he'd ever seen where he picked up, you know, two guys around the end, picked up, then they got a third guy, and then it hit another fourth guy. Of course, it was against the Bears. Go figure. So when they were putting the documentary together, I had reached out to Jerry, we went back and forth on some things. He said, man, if I could ever find that footage, that would be great to be in the documentary. Kind of tucked that way a little bit. And I am uh, good friends with, uh, with Brian McCaskey of the McCaskey family, who owns the Bears. And I, I got a hold of Brian and I said, hey, this is what's going on. This is the project that they're doing. And if there, is there any archival footage that you might know of, you know, where we could find such a thing to add into this documentary, even though the bears are taking it on the chin? And Brian's like, just so happens, serendipitously, they were just revamping and redoing the archives. They were taking all that old tape and putting it into digital format. So he had his team at their expense go searching for this game that somehow Jerry had in his mind. Uh, he didn't know exactly when it was, probably the last one or two years of his of his career, which would have been 67 and 68. He knew it was not here in Chicago, which would have put it in Milwaukee County Stadium back then. And he wasn't exactly sure where the block was. So not too vague, right? And uh, lo and behold, you know, they went those two years and they found the games and the Bears played the Packers twice that, like they do now. And they pulled the first two games of those two years that were at Milwaukee County Stadium. And they pulled the game itself. And these are extremely large files to send on the internet. So it's not like I can go to a room and watch them and say, run that back. They had people cherry picking it. And so they sent me a bunch of video. Uh, 
And the first time around, they sent me all the Packers on defense, which was fun to watch, but that's not what we're looking for. So that took at least four weeks, five weeks for them to find that. Then they had to go back and dig out the offense for those games, and they did. Sure enough, we found the block. So it is literally 9 to 12 seconds long. And it's a little grainy, and there's no sound because it's coaching film. You know, it's how they did it back. There's no narration like we watch it. And by the way, a little side note, is there anything stranger than watching a football game and having highly priced talent telling you what you already know because you're looking at it? Now, see, that should have been the thing. I should have went into broadcasting football or baseball games. You're watching the game. You can clearly see what's going on, and they're telling you what you already know. Missed the boat on that one. Anyway... So we get the, the video, um, and in, in deference to that, uh, we added Brian into the documentary. And he talked about the great connection that Lombardi and his grandfather, George Hallis, had and how Hallis played a central role in the Packers' success over the years. He was the one you know, that uh, insisted that they, you know, they, they expand the team and did a lot of behind-the-scenes things. So Lombardi and Hallis had a great love affair of each other. While on Sundays they played it up like they really couldn't stand each other, um, you know, they really got along behind the scenes. So we did this documentary, and again, just a small piece of it, uh, and I wanted to make sure, if nothing else, the Bears were well represented. Brian did a great job. We ran the 9 to 12 seconds, and there's the block, and all is well in the world. So that's, like I said, four or five years ago. So we're do- talking about this book a few weeks ago. You can find it on my podcast page, and uh, it's it's well worth a listen because Kramer's life, as I said, is, is just nothing short of amazing to me. N- just as it's just short of amazing to me that he and I even talk. I was a 10-year-old kid in the backseat of my dad's 59 Impala when he had tossed away a copy of Instant Replay, the Green Bay Diary of Jerry Kramer, in paperback form after he bought a razor on vacation in Appleton. Being a, a you know a stout Bears fan, he's like, I ain't reading that, which my dad was a voracious reader, so it was a little surprising, but he threw it in the garbage. I fished it out. And I read it in secret on the way back, the three-hour drive, at 50 miles an hour, from Appleton to Wisconsin in 1968. And, we're, and, and the fact that our paths have crossed as they have is just beyond serendipity to me. And it's, I'm not a, alone in all this, meaning there are a lot of people that read that book and that connected with Jerry, and he, there's been great friendships out of that for him. I just feel very fortunate that we have what we have, and as long as we have it, I probably have been in his orbit 35, 40 years now, something like that. So great adventures on our own as well. So that happens. I call him Wednesday before Thanksgiving, just check in and see how things are going. Through the magic of technology and editing, you did not hear that sneeze. Just know I saved your ears. Anyway, I call him Wednesday to check in. We're going back and forth and how his health's doing. A man's 87 years old. Lost count of how many surgeries he's had from football. But he has never stopped searching for answers when it comes to improving his or anybody else's health. And he started talking about a device that he bought for his sister. And he talked about this radio that he saw somewhere. And the the radio could be downloaded with hundreds, if not thousands of songs of your choice. And it looks like an old time radio. His dad had a TV radio repair shop. So it really resonated with him to get this old-time-looking radio that you can pick and choose the music that goes in it and just plays and plays and plays. And the reason he bought it is because of her challenges with dementia. 
and he noticed one of his visits that when a certain song would come on the radio, she'd sing it like she wrote it, even though it's been 60 years, and then, then you know, struggle with other things. And so he bought this radio, and we're having this conversation around it. And I was reminded of something that took place at least 10 years ago, it could be longer now, that I almost put in my third book, Phenomenon, which you can buy at my website, auroramediaproductions.com, or at lulu.com. You could buy that and the Randy Hundley book, and you'll have a hell of a start in a good library. Anyway, the story I didn't put in that book goes back to a, a talk I gave in Atlanta. A good friend of mine, Dr. Kathleen Hall, who has written, I don't know, 15, 16 books. She's fantastic. At one time, she was the number one stress expert in America. She survived 9-11, changed her life in an an incredible direction, and uh, she makes a serious impact every single day with her work, getting people to be more mindful of their life. And so I'm down in Atlanta doing this talk, and... uh, after the words, we, we go to dinner and we're sitting there at dinner and somehow the conversation, the whole group of people gets around to, the, to John Denver. I don't remember how that happened, but whenever it, th- his name pops up, I perk up because there's a connection he and I've had for a very, very long time. And uh, it goes past our friendship to when I was a kid, much like Kramer. Never thought I'd meet John Denver. Never thought he'd you know, get behind my career and cr- help put it together. I mean, who thinks of stuff like that? But there are a lot of people who move in and out of our lives and, and show us things we cannot see at the time. And he was one of those guys for me. And the conversation goes back and forth on this. And pretty soon our waitress walks up. And the waitress's name tag says, Sunshine. And we all kind of giggled. Well, isn't that interesting? And so, I, of course, I asked after we made our order and she brought our food. I said, I have to ask you. Your name? Is that your given name, your real name? She goes, oh yeah, my dad named me after that old John Denver song, Sunshine on My Shoulders. And again, we giggled. And we went back and forth with her and and found out that her father uh, was in a facility about an hour, hour and a half away from where we were. Beautiful restaurant overlooking a river somewhere outside of Atlanta. Love Georgia. Great place. Great people. And... um, I looked at my friend, Dr. Hall, and she looked at me and there was this knowing between us that we need to go see this old boy for whatever reason. It was just this, this energy came in. We're supposed to go see this guy. We don't, never met her, no idea who he is. And so she'd come back and forth with food and like that. And we finally said, listen, this, we just feel like we need to go see your dad. And she was a little like, wait, what? And so we kind of explained a little bit who we were, what we're doing and who we, what we've done and all that kind of stuff. She got a little more comfortable with it. And I said, would that be possible? And she said, I think that would be fantastic. And so she made a phone call in the back room to the facility and said, tomorrow, some friends are coming to see your father, who we've never met. Keep that in mind. And never met her before. Keep that in mind. So next morning, Kathleen and I get up and get some coffee, and off we go over the mountains in Georgia to this facility. And we get there not knowing what's up, except I have it in my mind that I need to play Sunshine on My Shoulders for this guy because he named his daughter that without having any real background or thought about music and dementia and all that stuff. It's just like this is what was needed to happen. So we get there. They know we're coming. I got the same computer I have now, my trusty, dusty, battered Dell. 
and we walk into this room and it's a, it's a room with two people in it. He's on the left and there's another guy on the right. There's just a, like a sheet or a, you know, a curtain that separates them. And the man's sitting on the side of this bed and he is a burly dude. He's got a crew cut. He's got thick shoulders and big hands. He's sitting there. He was a bricklayer, I believe, and ran construction and did concrete, which I can relate to. And he was just sitting on the side of his bed, lost in his thoughts. And we walked in there very kind of cautiously and peeked in, and there this guy was. And so Kathleen, in her own way, has a great connection with people. And she walked in, and she knelt in front of this guy. And she put her left hand on his right knee, and she just started talking about who she was and who I was, and that Sunshine had sent us to, to say hi to him. And he said, sunshine, it was, it was a trigger for him. It was a key word. And, and he just kind of slowly nodded and he just repeated it. Sunshine, sunshine. Yeah. Sunshine. So it, while she was doing that, I plugged in my computer, opened it up, tapped into the Wi-Fi, went to YouTube, found John singing sunshine on my shoulders and I turned it on. And this guy lit up like a friggin' Christmas tree, sat straight up started singing the song, which then prompted the guy in the bed next to him to start singing as well, which prompted the lady in the hall, across the hall, I should say, to start singing as well. They could hear it because it was on the speakers. And we lost our shit. I mean, I was like, I, I was dumbfounded. And Kathleen's crying. And this guy is singing it like he wrote it with John. It was an incredible thing. And when the song ended, that was that. They all just kind of went back into their reclusive places and spaces as if it never happened. And it was astounding to both of us, astounding to both of us. And we said goodbye to the man and I, I patted him on the shoulder and Kathleen kissed him on the cheek and we went back to her farm outside of Atlanta and discussed it to a great degree about this disease that shuts people inside themselves and how music brings them back out. How does that happen? How, what part of the brain connects with this? And to me, there's a repetition thing here. I am no, obviously no expert in all this, but I can tell you after 30 years in radio uh, and watching things over and over again and listening to things over and over again, it is like a muscle. The average American knows the words to over 3,500 songs. They've never intended to learn on purpose by repetition over and over. You know, that's what radio is all about over and over again. So depending on how old you are, you know, if I say bye-bye Miss American Pie, you know how that ends, like you wrote it over and over again. So that was a great thing. I was sharing that with Jerry and he's like, well, that's just, that's just, uh, that's exactly why I bought this radio. I don't know how good it'll do her or even himself or anybody else, but at least for uh, the length of a song, the, you're back here again in that. And the emotions that come from that uh, are powerful. So that was a great conversation. And he told me a couple stories I'm not going to repeat here. <laughs> He's always got something up his sleeve that I've not heard before, which I thought I've heard it all. Uh, and we had a great conversation. And, and uh, interestingly enough, uh, I continued on this thing with Denver, who, uh, as I mentioned, you know, in 1993, had asked me to speak at the Windstar Foundation that he had in, 
in Snowmass, Colorado, and it, it was a, an event called The Human Family. And uh, a year prior to being asked to speak there, I was substitute teaching as a cadre sub, kind of assigned to the high school I went to in Chicago. And one day in my mailbox, I found a flyer for this event called The Human Family. And I got home that afternoon and I literally sat down in the yard and the human family poured out of me and I wrote it down in one swipe. And so a year later at John's Invite, I'm on stage at the Aspen Music Tent in front of 5,000 people delivering the human family poem and lyric to these people. So before we left, I thought I would share that with Jerry given the conversation. And I did that. And the fact that I can even remember it is astonished. It's kind of illustrates what we're talking about. I've said it so many times. If I center myself, it's right there. And he said, I need a copy of that. I can't quite do the Kramer voice, but it's pretty close. I need it. Johnny, I need a copy of that. Or John John, like John Boy Walton, I think sometimes. But I need a copy of that. So I'm going to send him one and he can do with it as he will. He's a huge fan of poetry and words and all that type of stuff. So that's how that went Wednesday. And then we rolled into Thanksgiving. Watching football like everybody else, or mostly everybody else. And I'm watching the Packers and Lions go at it. And sometimes it's good to watch other teams lose. If you live in Chicago, (laughs) it's good to watch other teams lose, especially if they're in your division. So the Packers come out on top of that one. They, They shut down Detroit. And somewhere probably in the first half is commercial runs. And I'm sitting there watching it, you know, kind of half doing my thing, just sitting there watching the football game in the morning. And uh, this is before the feast and everything. So I'm sitting there, my feet up and just kind of lazing in the sunshine, watching the football game and glad that on one hand, the Detroit's losing because we're going to see them play the Bears in a few weeks. On the other hand, kind of gnawing at my teeth because Green Bay's winning, which, you know, if you live in Chicago, you can't be happy for them. But it was a really good game and I was enjoying it. And this commercial comes on from Chevy. And it starts out with people showing up at a house for the holidays and these two little girls running up to their granny who's sitting in the chair, obviously disconnected. And very quickly, uh, it becomes apparent that she has dementia. And the daughter in the commercial is talking to her father and he's saying, you know, there are good days and bad days and today's not a good day. And there are times she doesn't remember who I am. And if you've ever been around people that have this, it goes right to the bone of the thing, right? Um, and so the, one of the granddaughters, an older of the girls, comes walking over and is listening to all this. And so she sits down with her granny and she says, let's make this a good day. And so she gets granny up and off they go to the garage. And Chevy's done this with commercials before where they go out to a garage and there's, there's a vintage Chevy of some kind sitting out there, right? When everybody drove a Chevrolet. And she rolls the, uh, the tarp back on a 1972 Chevy Suburban, um, immaculate. It's been in the garage. It's a garage find, right? So you get the sense, obviously, at one point, this was the the family truck. This is what everybody piled in. And so the granddaughter gets granny in the seat, and off they go into this uh, vintage 72 Chevy. And I noticed that the plates are Michigan plates, where I lived for 20 years. So I'm paying attention to this. And, you know, Chevy has done a great job with these commercials in the past. It's a very... Um, subtle sell about how Chevy is an integral part of this country, and as it should. And they're driving along and they're going to these different places where Granny used to, where she was born and where she went to school. And at one point, the granddaughter sticks an eight-track tape in the deck 
and damned if sunshine on my shoulders doesn't start playing by Denver. I about shit myself. I just had this conversation with Kramer the day before, remembering an event from a decade prior where the exact same thing took place. And pretty soon, of course, the predictable happens. They start singing along with John. And I didn't know what to do with that. And of course, you look at the pieces of this, right? So, and it turns out that they're in Holly, Michigan. This is where this was filmed. I don't know where Holly's at. I lived in the Upper Peninsula. So, um, but it was just these connections to me. Michigan, the Chevy. I had a 72 Blazer, which was fantastic. Uh, And of course, Mr. Denver, these pieces. And when you watch this commercial as a consumer, they all ring true too, right? So you got the heart of... Uh, the country you're in Michigan and uh, and you got Denver who for years was the biggest selling recording artist in the world and that song is is deeply embedded in our culture then you got this 72 Chevy and all these things come together and they're driving around and they finally get to this outdoor theater drive-in and grandma hasn't said much and so the granddaughter looks and says this is where grandpa says that he kissed you the first time and granny snaps out of it and says he didn't kiss me I kissed him Even though I full well know that these are actors, it's being highly produced, and all the pieces go into it, it went through me. So she comes out of her dementia and says, we have to get home, I have to help him cook dinner and be with everybody. And as they're heading back home, the song's playing, she gets into the kitchen and they hug each other and all is well in the world for that piece of time. How is it possible I mean, I, this has been in months in the making, this ad for sure, right? But they, they rolled it out perfectly on Thanksgiving. And you will see it, if you haven't seen it yet, between now and Christmas. It's going to play. There's no doubt about it. And I just went back to the conversation with Kramer. And then I went back to the event with Dr. Hall. And that guy sitting on his bed singing this song. And the power that comes out of that simple move. That granddaughter... The actress putting that eight track in click and you hear that song it just left me speechless even this morning i'm struggling how do i put this together what's what's the takeaway from people listening number one is music matters i mean the music i grew up with i listened on sirius xm which is you know, at my, my age, it's predictable because they have a 40s channel, 50s channel, 60s and 70s. Sometimes I get into the 80s. They're all commercial free. I don't want to hear commercials. been listening to them for 50 plus years. Don't care. And I've been in the business and I don't care to listen. But it's music. And that music gives you emotions and brings pieces of you back. I have a friend of mine that, that I went to high school with. We're still in touch today. And whenever December 1963 by Frankie Valley comes on, we text each other the picture of that song and it has a connection to us being on the s curve on cicero avenue right by montrose and hearing that song decades ago and that's just a, a small example and i can guarantee you everyone listening to this has a song that does something for them and so when that song can basically become a time portal and take you back to this moment whether it's at the drive-in or the school you went to or whatever that's magical to me with all the shit that's going on in the world, all the things we can't do an effing thing about that we are bombarded with on an ongoing basis, finding three minutes and 48 seconds that matter is important in my book. To keep the bubble in the middle, to keep that balance in our lives a little bit. 
Because otherwise, you kind of wake up and go, what's the effing point here? Do we need to see this again? Do we need to see the worst of human behavior on display 24-7? I don't. So, my goal with these podcasts is to give you something as a takeaway. And the story sets up, of course, the song. I can't not close the show without playing it. And this particular version is very different than what you've heard on the radio and that you come to know when John did that song way back in 1974. Went to number one, one of his signature songs. But this particular version was recorded live in 1995 when John did the Wildlife Concert. And it was a comeback of sorts for him. You know, nobody stays on top forever. And he had a very long career. It was just 24 months before he died in that plane crash. So there's a little bit of moment in there for me. But it was done live at that uh, that concert. And my good pal Jim Horn backs John up on this with the uh, with the flute. And it's just a wonderful piece of work. It, to me, it's a masterpiece. It, it, it's the song on the radio that you come to know. It's great. But this here, this is something special. So as I ship you off today after another episode of uh, Life 2.0, reminding myself and reminding you that the reason I call it Life 2.0 is it's about up in the game. It's about up in the experience of being alive because the rest of that stuff will knock you on your ass. We have. I tell people all the time, my job when I get on the air is to knock you alive again. Remember this old saying, knock them dead? No, we're all on some level comatose. It's time to wake up a little bit, understand what we've been given. And then if you woke up today, you won the lottery again. No matter how much shit's going on, you're still here, and that's important. And for especially if you have someone in your life who is struggling with dementia, play them a song. You never know what'll happen. Until next time, be well, safe travels, keep the faith. On my shoulders makes me happy Sunshine in my eyes can make me cry Sunshine on the water so lovely Sunshine Almost always Makes me high If I had a day That I could give you I could sing for you 
Almost all 